Lord, we just thank you that we do hunger for your word. You are the one we hunger for and thirst for and that we can sing out our praises. We thank you for this time we've had. Uh, Lord, I thank you for the ways that the Spirit has already been moving in the brothers this morning in what Benoit said and Dick and um, so many others, uh, focusing our thoughts on your love, Lord, which is the passage you put out for me to speak on this morning as well. So I just thank you that we know you're here, we know you're at work, and the Spirit has something for us this morning. I pray that you would just open up our hearts and our minds to your word, and it may impact our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. I'm glad everyone is here, and I appreciate everyone that braved out the weather this morning. It was a little rough getting in, but uh, I think two beautiful words this morning were Portakashare. They were definitely uh, needed this morning. So I thought this morning we're going to look in Ephesians chapter 3. And if you want to turn your Bibles there um, ahead of time, you're more than welcome to do that. But I want to tell you a story first. This was a story I heard a couple weeks ago, and it was about a pastor who was practicing for his sermon. It was Sunday morning. He was practicing for his sermon and he decided he was going to practice while he was shaving. Well, unfortunately that didn't go so well. And he ended up with several nicks all over his face and embarrassingly had to explain to the congregation, you know, why he had all these little uh, toilet paper marks on his face and stuff while he had to speak. But he got through his sermon and afterwards a, a dear old lady came up to him and said, pastor, I have a suggestion. And he said, well, okay, what's that? And he said, well, she said, Next time, you need to practice your shaving and cut your sermon. So, <laughs> I want you to know I practiced my shaving this morning, so uh, we'll, we'll see about the cut sermon part of that. But, um, so. but in all, all truthfulness, let me start by asking you a question. And it's a question that you've probably been asked several times over the last several weeks, and it's probably one you have asked several times over the, next, uh, the last several weeks, and maybe over the upcoming two weeks. And it's simply this. What do you want for Christmas? What do you want for Christmas? Anybody been asked that question or asked that question of someone else? It's very common at this time of year. As a matter of fact, we tell each other, what are the gifts we want? What are the things we want? And by the way, if anybody knows of a good bakery that sells mince pies in this area, uh, if you give me that name of that bakery, that would be a gift to me. So um, (laughs) something I missed from my childhood. But many of us ran out on Black Friday, Cyber Monday, and all the days in, you know, since and, and bought treasures for each other. But when I read this passage in Ephesians 3, it made me stop and think for the last you know, month or so, what do I want for Christmas? And Paul in Ephesians 3 gives uh, two prayers. He gives one prayer in chapter 1, and then in chapter 3 he gives the second of two prayers that he does in Ephesians. And he prays two things in this prayer. He prays that it's a, it's a plea to the Ephesians that they would respond to God's provision. And then he also prays and pleads with God that he would enable the Ephesians to have the strength to do all the things that he's praying for them. And so, let's read this. It's Ephesians chapter 3. It's verses 14 to 21. So, I know your uh, sermon notes probably say verses uh, 18 and 19, but we're going to actually cover the whole the whole prayer here, because and, and, I think it's important to get the text and the context of this. So Ephesians three fourteen to 21, read this. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom, the whole, uh, from whom his whole family in heaven on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love, 
may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. That's certainly an amen at the end of that prayer. Um, it's, it's an incredible passage. And this is what made me think about what do you want for Christmas? Because we're going to get to verses 18 and 19. And I know I've been asking the Lord this year, having read and studied this passage for a while, that he would let me know how wide and long and high and deep is the love of God. We've been singing about it and talking about it already this morning. And to know the love that surpasses knowledge. That's an incredible gift. And it's been one I've been uh, excited and, and uh, blessed to be, to be studying this passage. So I wanted us to unpack these verses because I think we need to get the context of why he gets to this particular request. And so in verse 14, you might notice that it starts off and it says, for this reason. And you're like, okay, what reason? Why, did, why is he giving this prayer? Well, the reason's found back in chapter 2. If you went back to chapter 2 and you looked at verse 5 of chapter 2, you would see that the reason he's praying this is because God makes us spiritually alive with Christ. So because God does that for us, therefore he's making this prayer. So because God does that, and then he goes on, he says, because God does that, I bow my knee before the Father. Now, this is not a prescribed, let me be very clear, this isn't a prescribed posture that we have to take every time you pray. He's not saying, hey, Every time you pray, you better be on your knees because there's plenty of examples in the Bible where, um, you know, uh, different people prayed standing, uh, falling on their face. You know, some were kneeling. There's, there's different postures. So he's not he's not setting a prescribed posture. However, I would say that the idea of bowing does prescribe the posture that our soul should be taking when we pray to the Lord. And if you think about bowing, it signifies a couple of things. One, it signifies the fact that you're having an attitude of submission. So you're admitting that you are submitting to the Lord when you're going to him in prayer. It also acknowledges that you're in the presence or going in the presence of someone who's higher, who's more dignified, who has more authority than you do. Uh, and so I think the idea of having that, that bowing of the knee posture, at least in our souls as we come before the Lord and pray, is something that we should practice. But it's an amazing thing because we come with that posture and we pray to the Lord. But it's an amazing thing when you think about when we come to the Lord... We're not coming to the Lord thinking, oh my, I'm in fear and trembling, and I've got to appease this God that's going to smite me. I mean, a lot of, a lot of religions out in the world, that's what their prayers are for. You know, the prayers are there because they want to make sure that God's not going to punish and do that. But you think about when we pray to, our, to the Lord, we're praying to a loving, compassionate Father. What a difference. I mean, when you, know, you think about the love of God, we talk about the hope that John spoke of last week, and this week we're talking about God's love, that God is with us, and God's love. It's an amazing difference and an amazing blessing that we have. But then it goes on. So he says, for that reason, he's praying. He's, he bows his knees before the Father. And he says, from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name. It's kind of an interesting thought because, in one sense, all men do derive their name from God because God is our creator. So as the creator, God is our Father in that one sense. But as a as a Christian, as a believer in Christ, we have such a deeper knowledge, a deeper spiritual understanding of calling God our Father. 
he's he's our father because he is our savior. He sent his son. That's you know what we're celebrating this season. God came to this earth. He sent his son to be with us that we could be children of God. So when we call God father, it's because you are a child of God. If you're a believer, it's 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 an amazing thing. So Paul goes on. He he gives us that backdrop. And he talks about how every family on earth you know, derives its name. And derives just simply means it, it, it's related to or it, it uh, pulls something out of. And I've got to say, I'm extremely blessed. Jennifer and I were talking about this this morning. We're both extremely blessed that we come from families who derive their name from God. That when people think of my parents and they think of um, you know, what, what they have done, I'm so blessed. Because they derive their name from God. And, it, and it's an incredible heritage. It's something that should be... Uh, cherished. It should be something that should be cultivated, passed on. Uh, we had a, a family reunion with uh, the Boyer side of the family, and it was incredible to see all the generations and to realize that the, the name of God is coming through all those generations. It, it's something I've tried to pass on to my kids, and uh, if my parents are happen to watch, thank you. I really do appreciate the, the heritage that, that they provided for me. But it also may not be you know, that you have that heritage. You might not come from a family who derived its name from God. And that may be the case, but I would encourage you at this point, be the first then. Be the one who sets that heritage. Be the one who says, you know what? From this time forward, when my name is spoken, when that, when that name comes through, people are going to say, you know what? That's someone who follows God, and that name is derived from God. So I think Paul is encouraging us here to continue to do this. We're bowing before the Father. We're deriving our name from him. But it's not even just about our families. I mean, it's a great heritage to have a family name. But it goes deeper. Paul goes deeper and says, you know what? This is something personal. It's got to get down to you as an individual. It's not just you're not saved because your family name is derived from God. You're saved as an individual. And he goes on in verse 16. And he says uh, that you may live a life according, you, know, you personal, may live a life in accordance with the spiritual riches we have in Christ. And I think some of your uh, some of your translations will say according to his riches. Uh, it was part of the song that we we, uh, we just sang, as well. It's an amazing thought because when you think about living a life according to the riches of God, now you got to think like a kid here because I like to teach kids Bible Club too. How rich is God? He owns everything, doesn't he? It all belongs to him. So when Paul's telling us that he's wanting us to live according to the riches, the spiritual riches we have in Christ. He's saying you've got every spiritual riches that's possible out there that you can live your life according to that. That's an amazing thought when you think about it. And you're like, okay, I can live according to these spiritual riches, but what are those spiritual riches? Well, Paul had already answered part of that for us in chapter 1. If you went back to chapter 1, and this is obviously not a, an exhaustive list, but in chapter 1, Paul gave us a couple examples of spiritual riches. In chapter 1, and verse 4, he tells us that if you're a believer, he chose you for himself from before the foundation of the world. That's an incredible thought that God chose you from before the foundation of the world. In verse 7, chapter 1, it says we're told of God's redemption and his forgiveness. Spiritual riches indeed. In verse 9 of chapter 1, we find out that God makes known to us the mystery of his will. And then in verse 11... It says that we have an inheritance with his son, Jesus Christ. Are these not incredible riches? 
I mean, it's, it's an amazing thing. And it's according to these riches that Paul's telling us we need to be living our lives. And it goes on in verse 16, it says we need to be living his lives so that we may be strengthened in his, by, uh, strengthened in his spirit in our inner being. Now, that's an interesting thought. Notice it's not our outer being, but it's our inner being that should be strengthened. Now, once again, I've got to have you think like a kid. Because um, if I go up to a kid and I say, show me what strength looks like, you're probably going to get this. You know, you're, you're going to get you know, some form of that and everything. And it's a perfect picture because we think of that outward strength and we think, yes, okay, we're building you know, big muscles. Well, I don't think big muscles, but we're building muscles and uh, building ourselves out, outwardly. But as most of us in this room know, that outwardly strength does decay over time, doesn't it? And we don't necessarily keep that. But God says he wants us to be inwardly being strengthened. And just like outwardly strength, it takes practice. It takes time. You've got to stay at it to stay outwardly strong. We've got to do the same thing inwardly. 2 Corinthians 4.16 puts it this way. But though our outer man is decaying, our inner man is being renewed day by day. Did you catch that? Day by day. It's a daily thing. It's not one of those things that you just do, you know, you can't go to the gym and just exercise one day of the year and think, okay, I'm in shape. Uh, you know, it, it takes daily practice. And strengthening our inner man and our inner selves takes daily practice. We've got to be in the Word of God daily, and we've got to be, you know, praying with Him and communing with Him and getting to know Him on a daily basis. But notice also, Paul's not praying that God would give us these riches Remember, it says that he would strengthen us according to those riches. In other words, these are riches we already possess. He doesn't have to pray that God's going to give them to us. God's already given to them as, you, as a believer. You've got them in your life. And he wants you to use them according to the riches that he's given you. And it may not be that he's given you the, the riches to go out and perform miracles that the whole world's going to see. If he does, fantastic. Follow whatever he's given you. But I think what Paul's really talking about is the day-to-day, um, the day-to-day life in each one of us as a believer, that we would practice that, that we would have the spiritual vigor, the spiritual strength, the stamina, that we would live day by day according to God's word and do what's right in his sight. Galatians 5.16 says, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Now that's, I think that's more of what he's talking about here, getting it down to the personal level that we would not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. That's strengthening that inner man. You're saying, okay, well, that's, that's good. Why? But All good advice, but why should I do that? You know, the old question, why? Well, look at verse 17 in your Bibles. It gives us the answer. It tells us, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. Now, when it says Christ dwelling in your hearts, it's not talking about salvation here. This is, this, is, uh, this is actually talking about sanctification or the process of becoming daily more like Christ, letting Christ shape our lives and becoming more like him. So dwelling in our hearts, it's not talking about the, the dwelling of the spirit in our hearts that we get at salvation. This is talking about that day-to-day sanctification uh, that happens. In other words, it's not just the presence of God in our lives and in our, in our hearts. It's the quality of that presence in our hearts. And it, and it, and it should impact down to the minutest details of what we do, everything in our life. It, you know, it should be impacting the books we read. It should be act- impacting the music we listen to or the, the videos we watch or the way we spend our money or the words we say or the, the foods we eat. It should be impacting down to the minutest details of our lives. 
It's a quality of the Lord's Spirit in your life and in the way you're living your life day to day. And he goes on and gives two words that I I really love these two words that he uses here. Because he uses the words that you would be rooted and grounded in love. And and I love the, the imagery again. You know, you think about rooted, you think about, uh, you know, just a tree and the deep roots that a tree has that when storms come, a tree stands, stands firm and it, it's not moved. Uh, I can't help but think of uh, Psalm chapter one when I think of this, you know, where it says, blessed are the man, blessed is the man who does not uh, sit in the seat of scoffers nor stand in the way of sinners. No, I got it wrong again. I knew I was going to get it wrong. Blessed is man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the seat of sinners. Nope, I'm still getting it wrong. I'm going to read it. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in what? You guys know it. It's in the law of the Lord. And on this meditate, on this law, he meditates what? Day and night, exactly. You get the day-to-day thing. It's Once again, it's a daily process that we're going through. And then it says... That person, he's like a tree planted by streams of water. In other words, he's got deep roots whose leaf does not wither and he bears his fruit in season. It's, it's an amazing, amazing thought when you start thinking about that. But he goes on and says, not only should we be rooted, we should be grounded in love as well. And grounded is an architectural term. It really just refers to the foundations. So you think about you know, the foundation that was laid for this building that we're in here now. Or think about some of the skyscrapers that are out there in downtown Houston and other places. Think about the incredible engineering that goes in to building a foundation. And if you don't get the foundation right, what's the building going to be like? You know, like the what's the the wise or the the foolish man who built his house on the on the sand and the house went smash. I mean, a you know, bad foundation leads to disaster. But God is praying, or Paul's praying for the Ephesians here that God would give you that daily spiritual strength to live day by day, that you would have a foundation, that you would be rooted in him, that when the trials of this life come, you will stand. 2020 came this year. And I think everybody at some point faced trials from and continue to face trials of what's happened this year with this worldwide pandemic and all the the impacts that's had in people's lives, both physically, financially. I mean, it's just so many different impacts But Paul's saying, you know what? When you're rooted and grounded in love, when you're rooted in Christ and in God's love, that's what allows us to stand in these times. And as John said, that's why we have hope, as you mentioned last week. That's why we can stand in God's hope, because we have a hope, and we know that we're rooted and grounded in in love. Now, i got to tell you a story. Um, This is a story I read. uh, It was one that uh, Harry Ironside uh, used in one of his sermons a long time ago. But... I think it represents this. So um, it represents a man, I think, who would be rooted and grounded in love. And he tells a story of an older country gentleman, and he's on his way. It's in Scotland. And he's on his way from the country, and he's walking into Aberdeen to attend a revival meeting, you know, a tent revival type meeting. And on his way, he comes across a young theology student, and they strike up a conversation, and they, they go walking along. And they're, they're, they're chatting about what they're looking forward to on the, on the event. And they stop and they have lunch. And at lunch, you know, the, the older gentleman looks over and says, you know, I think we should stop and pray before we have lunch. And the, the younger man looks over and says, that's a good idea. You go first. Um, so the, the older man says, great, I, I'll do that. And he starts to pray. And, he's, and he prays for the food and thanks the Lord for the blessing of the food and all that he's provided. And then he went on to pray a little more. And he starts praying. He says, Lord... 
I'm going to this conference, but he says, you know that I don't hear very well, and I need to be sitting near the front in order to hear what's going to be spoken if I'm going to hear your word. If you would, please save a space for me in the front. And the young man kind of looks over a little funny, like, okay. And then he says, and God, you know, we're traveling on these these cobble streets and the, the shoes that I've got, I don't have the means to buy a new pair, but these are not meant for these streets. But if you would be so gracious to provide a new pair of shoes, I would really appreciate it. And then he goes, and then he goes on, the young man's really looking at him, you know, kind of funny now. And, the, and he goes on, he says, and, and God, just one more thing. He said, I'm going to the city. I don't have a place to stay. I don't even know who to ask for where to stay in this city. But he said, if you would provide a place for me to spend the night, I would greatly appreciate it. And he finishes with an amen. And of course, the, young, the younger man kind of looks over and he gives this long flowing prayer with a lot of gracious words that really didn't say much. Um, but he thought it really odd that this man was thinking that God was that interested in the details of his life. So they get there and they get to the, the tent meeting and it's packed. Of course, they get there and it's packed. And the young man's thinking in his heart and in his mind, he's like, yeah, let's see what God thinks about all these little details you prayed for now. But as they got there, a couple people actually came out of the tent, and so they were able to slip right on inside. And they slipped inside, but it was. It was every seat you know, taken. And the, and the older man was putting his hands up to his ears, and he, he's like just straining, you could tell, just to hear what was going on and, and to be a part, uh, participant. Well, just about that time... A young lady up front looks over and she stands up and she sees this man holding his hands to his ear and struggling to hear. And she calls over an usher and she calls the usher and says, my father was supposed to join me today, but he told me if he wasn't here by this point that he was delayed and and wouldn't be making it and to give his seat to someone else. She said, do you see that man in the back there that's struggling to hear? Go get him and bring him up front here with me and let him sit here up front. (laughs) Prayer number one, check. Is answered. So he sits there. Well, they start in the meeting, and there's there's several points where there's praying and some singing and the sermon. But this old man was of the kind who liked to bow and pray. He liked to get on his knees. So he would get on his knees at the prayer time and bow. And the lady next to him that, that had invited him down, as she looked over the first time, she noticed his shoes were in tatters, and she didn't have you know, he didn't have you know very good shoes. And so at the end of the meeting, when it came to the, you know, the, the closing, uh, after it was done and they closed in prayer, she looked at the man. She said, you know, she goes, I hope you don't find this to be, you know, um, you know too, too personal. But she said, I notice your shoes and, and, and that they're in pretty bad shape. She said, my father owns a shoe store here in town. She said, you know, if you would be willing, I would love to be able to take you over there. Even though it's closed right now, let's go over there and I will get you a new pair of shoes. And he said, that would be fantastic. And so they went to the shoe store and fitted him for a brand new pair of shoes. You know, prayer number two, check. And then she looked over and she said, you know, it's late. Where, you know, where are you staying? You know, can I take you somewhere? Where are you staying? And he looked at her and he said, well, he said, my father has a place for me. He just hasn't told me where it's at yet. And she was a little funny. Then she realized that he was talking about God. And she said, you know what? She said, I think I've got that one covered, too, because we were supposed to have a visitor with us for this conference. And he uh, we got word this morning that he had to cancel and couldn't make it. And so we have a room already prepared for, for a guest. And I would just love it if you would join us. Well, there's prayer number three all answered. 
And so uh, Harry Hindsight went on and said, he said, you know, the next day the young man saw the older gentleman coming back to, to the uh, tent meeting, and you can imagine his surprise when he found out that God had answered down to the detail every single one of those prayers. And can you imagine, was that man rooted and grounded in God's love? Absolutely. And this is what, uh, this is what Harry Ironside said at the end of that story. He said, he, meaning God, is never too busy to heed the cries of his needy people. What we all require is more confidence in his love and more earnestness and directness in our prayer. <laughs> and I say amen to that. We all need to be that way. God is interested in the minutest details of your life. His love reaches down to every aspect of your life, and he wants to uh, impact every aspect. And so with that backdrop, this is where we finally get to verse 18. And it's an incredible part of this prayer because, it, once again, it says that we may have the power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Can you imagine grasping that? That's an amazing thing. And he's saying this isn't just book knowledge. We can know a lot of things. We can grasp a lot of stuff, including things of the Bible, but not really make it our own. But he goes on, he gives these great descriptive words. Okay, and this is the last time. I, I need you to think like a kid again here. Um, because these words, I think, are, are just perfect if you have a kid's mindset and description of it. Because it says he wants us to grasp how wide is the love of God. You ask a kid to show you how wide, they're probably going to do this. I did this with some uh, nephews and nieces, and that's exactly what they did. He says, how wide is the love of God? It's this wide. You know, it kind of looks like, you know, it makes me think of Jesus on the cross. It's that wide. And in Ephesians chapter 1, um, I'm sorry, in chapter 2, it tells us God's love was so wide that, yes, he paid the price that Jew and Gentile could all be in his church if we believe in him. It's wide enough to accept every single one of us. And then you ask a kid, what does long look like? Well, you might, they might stretch out or they might stretch out this way and they say, it's this long. And that's exactly right. Because as we read earlier, remember, the love of God, it stretched out from before the foundations of the world and God chose you. That's how much God loves you. And God's love stretches out into eternity future because you can never lose that salvation. That's how much God's love, how long it can be. And then it talks about how high God's love can be. You know, watch a kid just show you how high up on their tippy toes they can get. It's a great image. And it tells us that God has blessed us in, in Scripture with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And that we're raised up and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's how high the love of God is. And then it talks about how deep is the love of God. Now, this one, it's a little harder for me to do it these days, but, you know, you've got to stretch down and, and show how deep it is. I, I like to think of our son, Chris, who, who's on a submarine. And he's been to some deep places, classified deep places, that I can't know where he's been or how deep he's been, but he's been to some really deep places. But God's love goes deeper than even a submarine can go. God's love goes so deep, it tells us in chapter 2 of Ephesians, uh, that... Um, he, reaches, he reached down to the lowest levels of depravity to redeem those who were dead in their trespasses and sins. That's us. That's how deep God's love was. It's so deep that as we celebrate this time of the year, that God sent his son to die for us, that we could be saved. And it's an amazing, amazing thought. Do you love the picture? I mean, I hope you're getting a picture of just, you know, like I said, think like a kid. I mean, it's just when you get it, you're like, yes, how wide and long and high and deep is the love of God. But it doesn't even stop there. He says, and he wants us to know the love that surpasses knowledge. 
That's amazing. You think about like, okay, wait a second. How can I know something that surpasses knowledge? Isn't that kind of a contradiction in terms? But I think it's only possible because we're talking about God here. It's only possible in God. You know, I think of God's love. You think of worldly love. Typically, worldly love is going to last as long as somebody is not uh, offended or it's not rejected or rebuffed in any way. Worldly love can last. But boy, when those things come along, a lot of times that's the end of it. But God's love... It loves despite every offense, despite every sin we may have ever done. God still loves you enough and wants you to come to him and find salvation and forgiveness of your sins in him. Worldly love typically loves for what it can get, doesn't it? But God's love loves for what it can give. It gave us his son. It gave us the opportunity for salvation and redemption of our sins. What's incomprehensible to the world, that love that surpasses knowledge, is everyday living for the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we can know the love of God. We can start to grasp it. Now, when I was a kid in uh, Belmont, California, I went to Belmont Bible Chapel, and every Sunday we sang a song called the Doxology. And if you had your hymn books in front of you, you would probably find, I think it may be on the inside cover or number one or something like that. It was always on the inside cover when I was a kid. Uh, and we sang that every every year. And then... A lot of you know my sister-in-law, Julie Livingstone, and Julie does not let us get past a, uh, doesn't let us get to a Thanksgiving dinner without making the family stop and sing the doxology. Um, and, you know, we used to tease her about that, but I'll put it out there on live that I totally appreciate her, uh, her desire to see us, uh, you know, give God praise and thanks out there. It's, it's something I've come to appreciate, uh, even though I teased her in the past about it, I admit that. Um, and I noticed at the Benny's household the other day, I noticed they had a little uh, art frame with the doxology on it. Now, a doxology, if you didn't know, is simply this. It's a short hymn of praise to God. That's all it means, a short hymn of praise to God. And if in your Bible, if you have little subtitles ahead of your passages, you might, over verses 20 and 21, it, uh, it might say a doxology. Because after Paul has made this prayer... And after he's prayed that we would grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of God and to know the love that surpasses knowledge, he then breaks out into a doxology. Some of your Bibles probably have the word doxology ahead of that. And listen to what it says, because I love it, because I think it makes a great, if you think about it, it, it really just builds on itself. Almost like a Christmas tree, it starts up here and it just continues to build and then you get to the base of it. Because it says this, it says in verse 20, Now to him who is able... The top of that tree. God is able. And then it says he's able to do. And it says he's able to do a measure. Uh, he's able to do more than we can ask or think. And it says he's able to do more immeasurably more than you ask or think. We can ask and think a lot, can't we? But God can do immeasurably more than that. And then he breaks out into the final piece, which I would call the base of that tree. And it says um, to him. Be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. I mean, this is this incredible prayer. And so I would ask you one more time. What do you want for Christmas this year? Do you want to know how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ? And to know the love that surpasses knowledge? Ask God for that. We don't typically ask God for gifts at this time. We're thinking about you know, giving him gifts and giving each other gifts. But ask God to reveal that, to give you the power to understand that. 
It's an incredible thing. I'm asking for it this year. I hope you will too. And maybe the next time somebody says, hey, what do you want for Christmas? You can tell them exactly this. They may look at you a little funny, but you're like, you know what? It's a great opportunity then to share the gospel with them and tell them about the God that wants to know, to let them know about his love and wants to let them know that he sent his son and that ultimately he died to pay the price for our sins. That's what I'm hoping for Christmas. I hope it's something that you're going to want for Christmas this year too. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. God, we just thank you. This is an amazing passage. It's an amazing thing to think of how, how deep is your love for us, how great and awesome a God you are, that you sent your son to die for us, that you've given us just great, simple, descriptive words that help us to begin to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is your love. Lord, may we each have the strength, that inner strength day by day, to focus on you, to go to you daily and ask that. And Lord, may we be praying that for each other, that we would pray that we would each know that, Lord, that we as a church would be strengthened in that. And Lord, that uh, your glory would be had in all the world because the world would know that, that we could tell others. So we just thank you. We thank you for this incredible encouragement and prayer that Paul has given us and that you've given us in Scripture. And Lord, help us uh, this Christmas to each know how wide and long and high and deep is your love and to know your love that surpasses knowledge. God, you are amazing. And we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.